Reeling from all the terrible news, but not sure how to take action? I'm Kelly. I'm Lila. And this is What Can I Do? Each week, we interview activists about how they took action, what got them started, who helped them along the way, and what they do differently next time. In the process, we offer concrete advice on how to take the leap from freaking out on Twitter to making a difference. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I am Kelly Pollock. This is What Can I Do? The podcast where we help you figure out what in the world to do when everything seems like it's going wrong. I am here with my co-host, Lila Nordstrom. Hello, Lila. Hey, Kelly. How are you? Uh, Some days it feels like everything is going wrong, but we hang in there and get stuff done. (laughs) Hang in there. Exactly. We're super excited today to have Ashley All from Kansans for Constitutional Freedom, which is one of the groups that helped defeat the abortion ban that went on the Kansas ballot back in August. Ashley, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this issue? Absolutely. Thanks for having me here today. Uh, You know, I actually have been in politics for a long time. Um, I come from candidate politics, partisan, you know, candidate politics uh, in Kansas, which is a uh, hard place to be a Democrat. And so I have worked on a lot of statewide races that are pretty challenging, but we won a fair amount. Uh, My last one was for Laura Kelly, who is our current governor. I worked for her in 2018 and worked in her office for a little while. So I have a lot of experience in politics. This year was my first issue campaign, ballot initiative. And so um, I was really fortunate to get involved about a year ago um, on the amendment, uh, opposing the amendment in Kansas. And uh, that has been, um, you know, really exciting experience the past year. And obviously in August was kind of a shocking and overwhelming um, victory for us and I think the country. Can I ask, actually, before we get into the details of this specific campaign, how common are ballot initiatives in Kansas? You know, I I live in California where we have a zillion props on the ballot every, you know, every election, including primaries, including off-cycle elections. I'm just curious if this is something that's like common in Kansas or if this is, you know, if, if issue campaigns are rather rare there. Uh, we absolutely do not have very many of them. We don't actually have a referendum bill, like a law. Uh, and so the only way that you can put things to the voters as an issue is if you do it as a constitutional amendment. And so that is how kind of this got started. It's actually a kind of bizarre, fascinating story that goes back to 2019 when our Kansas Supreme Court ruled on a challenge to an abortion law. And in that ruling, they found that all Kansans had a right to personal autonomy in the Bill of Rights in our state constitution. And that included, you know, the right to make decisions about healthcare and your body and your family. And ultimately, that also included the right to make decisions about pregnancy and abortion. So this, this, this decision that was about personal liberty and personal autonomy that should probably have been celebrated was not celebrated because of the uh, connection to abortion. And so uh, anti-abortion lawmakers decided that they wanted to remove that from the Constitution. And so they tried a couple of times, first in 2020 and then again in 2021 um, to put it on the ballot. They were successful in 2021 and they placed it on the primary election ballot this year in 2022. And they did that for obvious reasons. Uh, Smaller electorate uh, thought they could kind of scoot it by, uh, sneak it by voters And so this was a really kind of strange and unique situation. Um, I think, you know, arrogance got the best of them and they 
put this to voters and lost. And so it's it's kind of a really strange story, actually. But unlike, yeah, so unlike California, we see very few of these. So can you talk about the, the time frame of this? This was put on the ballot before Roe v. Wade was struck down, and then the Dobbs decision comes out. Can you talk some about what sort of how you approached that that change in sort of what this meant if it passed, how you talked about, you know, how, how you thought about messaging to people around the state, around this issue, and if that changed at all after Dobbs? You know, we we spent the better part of a year really looking at how people talk about this issue. Um, it's something that, you know, for most of us, we understand is a pretty complicated issue and opinions vary on it broadly. Um, so we spent a lot of time doing research over the uh, the year before um, and kind of planning like how and, and learning and planning how we were going to communicate with voters, knowing that there was this case out there that could, you know, potentially um you know, change the way we were having that conversation. And so, you know, we we really looked at, um, you know, how people think about the issue. And what we found was that people really didn't see it as a partisan issue. They don't see abortion as a political issue. They see it as a personal issue. They see it as a personal medical decision or a, you know, personal moral or religious issue. Uh, and so that is how we approached it. And that really didn't change. Um, you know, we found that people thought that, you know, even if they had varying positions on the issue of abortion itself, uh, they did believe that women should have the constitutional right to make that decision for themselves. And so that is where we kind of our grounding message. Uh, and when the Dobbs decision came down, we really didn't have to shift much. You know, the stakes just got higher. Uh, and for us, what the the difference that we saw was really in um, engagement um, with both the folks that were already engaged with our campaign, you know, campaign, which were, you know, reliably pro-choice voters, lots of more progressive and Democrats. Um, you know, they were already heavily engaged. What we saw after the decision was a really significant increase in moderate Republican and more moderate kind of independent voters. It was a wake up call for them. You know, they really thought that their rights were protected at the federal level, and that decision changed that. So uh, we didn't have to change messaging uh, so much as just kind of, you know, it, we we did highlight more, you know, how high the stakes are now. Like, this is the only thing protecting you. Um, and, and Kansas had a really unique opportunity uh, to protect those rights six weeks after the decision came down. So it was just more of a um, an increase in urgency so much as uh, it, not so much a change in the message. Can you talk a little bit about how Kansas for Constitutional Freedom came together? Because I know, you know, I, one of the things that I think was really interesting in watching this this vote happen in Kansas was that you know the the messaging was very different than what we're used to hearing in you know sort of our little blue our blue bubbles in in the the big cities that you know Kelly and I live in but also just like in in the states that often dominate the sort of pro choice side of this conversation I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about when this group came together how it came together and whether this need to kind of cater the conversation to the voters of Kansas was a part of its formation? Was that something that you came to after the group sort of started to brainstorm? Like, how did you come up with this messaging strategy in the first place? 
Yeah, so we got started in June of 2021, not long after um, it got placed on the ballot. Uh, a lot of these organizations were already working together, you know, were already advocating and doing work uh, in the legislative session, trying to prevent this from happening in the first place. And so we just kind of um, officially started the organization in um, June of 2021. And, you know, the, the, the core group of organizations are, you know, the ones that you would expect. Planned Parenthood Great Plains, which is our local Planned Parenthood group, ACLU Kansas, um, URGE, which is United for Ge- Reproductive and Gender Equity. Kansas Values Institute is a local organization that's been pretty uh, politically active um, on the education side. And uh, Trust Women, who is a provider here in Kansas. So that was kind of the starting group. And we knew that we needed to do, if we were going to win this on a primary ballot in Kansas, we were going to have to really understand, again, the way people think and talk about this issue in Kansas. And also, we had to we had to talk to everybody. Because in Kansas, you cannot win with only Democrats. We make up 26% of the registered voters. Republicans are 44% of registered voters. And we are actually, Democrats are outnumbered by unaffiliated voters. They make up 29%. So we had to talk to a really broad and diverse uh, group of voters, uh, you know, about an issue that's, you know, pretty tricky. So we went about over the last year also really building a coalition of partners beyond those five groups uh, that spanned the spectrum politically. You know, we worked with groups that dealt, you know, focused mostly on moderate Republicans. We worked on, we worked with groups who were, um, you know, Catholics for choice or organizations that were nonpartisan, you know, organizations that worked with women specifically or, or you know, progressive organizations that focused on young, young, young people and young, young Latinos. And I mean, like all of this, it was all about building a really broad group of people who could be trusted messengers in their own communities, because, you know, that's the most important thing, especially when you're having, you know, kind of difficult and more nuanced conversations about abortion. Uh, and so that's that's really what what we focused on. And, you know, I think there has been a lot of attention on kind of the differ, different message that we used and how we talked more about protecting the constitutional rights and freedom of women to make decisions for themselves and, and preventing government interference. Uh, but but what I remind people is that that was actually the top top message across the board. It wasn't just that it resonated with moderate Republicans or Republicans or libertarians or conservatives. It registered with our base. It was absolutely the most motivating for for base base Democrat progressive voters. You know, and if you think about it, it is it's a message about freedom and equality, which is core to who we are. It is a message about protecting those decisions, those private decisions that women should be able to make for themselves. And that is the definition of pro-choice. And so it really was just a different take on kind of the same values uh, that we that we share in um, in in pro-choice and reproductive rights movements. Um, but we did it in a way that also allowed more moderate people who may have different opinions about abortion, you know, about the issue of abortion. It allowed them to kind of had their opinions. Um, and their personal beliefs, but also come back t- to the shared value that those decisions should be made by a woman and her doctor. What was the strategy for turning out the vote? As you mentioned, this was a primary election in August, 
and you have a huge number of unaffiliated voters in the state who would have no reason to go to a primary election otherwise. How? What did you do to make sure that that those people not just knew and cared about the issue, but knew that they had to go to the polls yeah. to actually vote? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, that was like kind of the gamble. We were never really sure whether they would show up or not. I mean, that was like, like, and so we had to do all the things possible. You know, whether it was communicate across all the different channels, whether it was television, digital you know, mail, radio, like all the different ways you could potentially contact Kansas voters, we were doing that. And so that was like the paid component. The 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 part that I think was also critical, and I mentioned our our, you know, our coalition of partners, our on the ground um, work like organizing was absolutely critical. And it was, you know, small groups in in communities all across the state, whether it was, you know, in urban Kansas City, whether it was in rural you know, rural Pittsburgh, it, it, those organizations and them talking to their neighbors and making sure that they were going, people were going door to door and they were making phone calls. That is how you get people to show up. And so we, I mean, it was a, I mean, it really was a big group project, a big team effort and where a lot of, a lot of organizations uh, did what they do best, which is organize in their local community. I mean, one fun story was a woman, uh, I mentioned Pittsburgh, which is this tiny town in Southeast Kansas, that county has not gone for Democrats in a long, long time. And a couple of days after the Dobbs decision, this woman named Mary called our uh, field director and wanted to get trained on canvassing, wanted to get trained on how to do door to door um, and what our message was. And she wanted to get lit and all the stuff that she needed to do this in her community. And so our great field director, Helena, trained her, got her ready. And she and a couple of her friends knocked 1600 doors in like in like five weeks, and we won the county. So I mean, it was like, that is, to me, like the perfect example of what one person can do in a community. Um, people sometimes think that they, it, you know, what they do doesn't make a difference. But that woman went out and made a huge difference in her community. And, um, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's why the margin was what it was in Kansas. Actually, we spoke last week about sort of the benefits of rural door knocking with another guest. And I, they, you know, they were sort of like, it's actually really effective because you're often dealing with people who don't get people knocking on their door very often and, and no, may know you. Like, you know, my parents often do door knocking in the small town they live in. And like that, you know, it, it's a really effective way to make a difference because people don't expect to get their doors knocked in a small town. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what is involved in coordinating between, you know, in a, in a big coalition and coordinating between groups. What do you actually do? You are they on an? Are you all on an email list together? Are you know? Are there messaging docs that go out to people? Do you have you know sort of group trainings for volunteers where you can coordinate between groups? Like, what are the actual things that a, a big coalition group? Uh, offers in, you know, when, when you're trying to coordinate with a bunch of local organizations working on an issue together? Yeah. Coalition work is hard. <laughs> like I'm going to state that like straight out of the, I, you know, I mean, it is, it's, it is a difficult thing. I mean, coordinating that many moving parts is always hard. There are, you know, even within like the kind of core group of um, governing, like I, they were the people who kind of voted on things and like decided what, which way we we're going to go. And, um, you know, what was going to go on TV, you know, that that was one component, we had to kind of make sure that they understood, like they were able to have the research and the um, information that they needed to make those decisions. 
And then there was kind of like a, a, a step out from that, which was, you know, people who were helping us in, in lots of different ways, whether it was funding, whether it was organizing, um, and we would communicate and, um, you know, have, you know, in, enormous Zoom calls with those folks to make sure everybody was on the same page. Um, but then I think the, the, the best part for us was the steering committee, which was kind of one step removed from that. Um, and that was like all of the local organizations that was like, you know, some democratic county parties, lots of local organizations that worked on, um, like I mentioned, mainstream coalition, which was, um, an organization that worked with moderate Republicans. Um, I worked with a big group of, uh, former legislators who were Republicans, um, you know, connecting with their constituencies. And so they were, we had a week, we had a biweekly call, um, our field director, Helena, uh, led it. Uh, as you can imagine, it was kind of complicated sometimes because everybody has very different perspectives on this issue. And so you had like, you know, super progressive organizations and not so super progressive organizations all kind of trying to have this dialogue. And what we found was the most helpful was our, our job was to provide them with like the best messaging and the best messaging guidance we could, some training, you know, and all the infrastructure, whether that was, you know, the lists whether it was um, the literature, like the, just the stuff that they handed out, any other like, you know, support that they we could possibly give to them, uh, we tried to do. Uh, and so they could go out and take all that stuff and do the best that they could in their communities, um, you know, going door to door and talking to their neighbors and doing, you know, the things that are really important, which is, you know, talking to people, you know, um, and encouraging them to vote. Uh, and so that's kind of how we did it. It, it. it is. It's like it's definitely like it takes a lot of effort, but the effort was worth absolutely worthwhile. Our field director did a fantastic job um, keeping everybody kind of in the loop as best we could. Um, and, you know, at a certain point, you just have to you provide the uh, you provide it and and you and, and, you know, you hope everybody kind of sticks as close to it as possible. I'm kind of a control freak because that's like I'm I'm a communications uh, staff, you know, director. And I've always, I always try to like, keep it very tight. And this was one of those situations where you gotta, you gotta trust the people to do um, what's best in their communities. And, you know, it took a little bit for me to kind of let, let it go, but, you know, they did a fantastic job. Um, people did a lot of really um, great work on the ground and, um, you know, and that, that showed on August 2nd. So I think a somewhat related question is, you know, if you're working on a, a campaign uh, for an individual, for a candidate, you're sort of tracking metrics along the way, like how many doors were knocked here and, and you know, how many pieces of mail did we send out here and what effect did this have? When you're working in a coalition and there's so many different partners doing so much of the work, do you have goals and metrics? Do you sort of leave that to individual groups? Like how how does that actually play out so that you know if you're doing what you were hoping you were doing? So it was a little bit tricky. Uh, so our organization, Kansans for Constitutional Freedom, was in charge of kind of the big um, volunteer phones, like the phone, you know, phone banks. We were in charge of that. We were also in charge of the five main counties. So like the big urban counties, the you know, big populous counties. Um, we were in charge of those. And so we tracked very closely what we were doing, uh, you know, what doors we were knocking, where if we were hitting our goals if we were hitting our goals on phones. So we track that stuff very closely. We um, know that those numbers do not include 
uh, you know, a lot of the local organizations and some of the partner organizations, uh, I think their tracking was, you know, was um, not as, you know, not as strong, um, or at least not, it didn't come back to us as quickly. And so it was a little bit harder to track. But but I know that they were, you know, they were doing the job that they were that they set out to do. So it is a little bit it is a little bit tricky, but we definitely tracked. I mean, we ended up knocking something like a hundred, almost a hundred thousand doors um, during the course of the campaign. Volunteers, which is pretty impressive. Um, we I think we got close to like seven hundred thousand phone calls. I mean, so we did we did a lot of work in a pretty short period of time. Whereas the the folks supporting the amendment, you know, brought in people from out of state, paid people, you know, and I think that that actually didn't work in their favor. Uh, you know, again, it goes back to the trusted messenger. You have some college student from, you know, Washington uh, showing up to knock doors in your community. Um, it, that's different than having your neighbor show up at your house to, to knock doors and say, you know, vote no. So, uh, it, yeah, no, it, it is hard to track, but we did our best. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about how you fund something like this, because you know, sort of along the same lines, this is not a candidate campaign. It's a buzzy issue. It's certainly an issue that people have an interest in supporting both in and out of state, but without the sort of like central figure to kind of like sink your fundraising effort, bank your fundraising efforts on. I'm wondering how does an effort like this, that is a big, you know, consortium of groups get funded? So a lot of it is part, I mean, we partner with groups. Um, I mean, there was a grassroots fundraising component. We definitely like raised money um, and we were able to raise quite a bit of money, you know, through digital means, um, which was great. And, you know, through in-state donors who were really um, motivated by this issue. Um, But a lot of it was partners, you know, I mean, Planned Parenthood, Great Plains um, and Planned Parenthood um, for America donated some all of the partner organizations donated some um, what they could, depending on their size and their capacity, uh, you know, and then we had some, you know, national donors that were able to come in and, you know, different foundations and philanthropic groups came in and supported. I mean, that's, that's how it um, typically these things are funded. I would say ballot initiatives are typically underfunded, um, which is something that I'm, you know, like really interested in changing um, because this is for for states like Kansas or states, you know, that may have, um, you know, gerrymandered districts or legislatures that are vastly out of step with the voters, which we've seen that Kansas, you know, like the Kansas legislature is on this particular issue. Uh, ballot measures are a way in certain states that you can you can change things. And so um, I think that there needs to be more focus on ballot initiatives. Um, I'm working with a, another organization called Families United for Freedom. And that is the focus. The focus is um, raising um, money and providing expertise and funding to organizations in state that are working to move to 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 put this on the ballot. Um, and not every state is that that's a possibility. As I said, Kansas is kind of a weird uh, situation that we ended up voting on this, but other states have it. You know, I mean, um, just thinking of my own kind of neighbors, Oklahoma and Missouri are able to do um, citizen petition um, referendum. And there's numerous other states that are looking at it too in the future. A couple that are pending right now, Michigan and Kentucky. So there are opportunities to do that. Uh, And I think, uh, unfortunately, funding hasn't been there in the past, but I think that's changing. So this is a question near and dear to me, but you have five kids. So talk to me a little bit about 
you know, do you include your kids in your political work? Do you keep them separate? Like, what does that look like for you? For me, my kids know very much what I do. Uh, They participate in, you know, everything that's reasonable. You know, I mean, they've gone out, we went out in 2018, we went out canvassing for Laura Kelly. You know, the three of them, they were um, not that old. They were like four. And I can't remember what the ages were back then. But uh, no, we we take them. They understand what I do. Um, we talk about it because it's important for them to understand that um, we do hard work to help other people. We do hard work um, to make a difference in our community. And, and sometimes we lose and that's frustrating. Um, but that doesn't mean we doesn't mean we give up. And so, you know, they've been able to watch me win. And they've been able to watch me lose. And that's, you know, a lesson in and of itself. You know, they, we, it was kind of a debate this time, whether they were going to be there on election night. And, you know, it's, it's complicated because I think if we had lost, I would, it would have been really hard. Um, And, and that's, you know, and they feel all my emotions, you know, like, (laughs) and they, they very much live through me. So um, I think they were anxious in the weeks leading up to it, but my husband and I decided that they were going to be there, you know, worst case scenario, they'd, you know, hang out in the hotel room and eat snacks and watch iPads and whatever, if things didn't go well. Uh, But that was not the case. Things were very positive from the beginning and all the way through. And so they were there running around, enjoying, um, you know, the excitement, watching me work, uh, and watching me kind of do what I uh, what I do for a living. And, um, and that's important, I think, um, just teaching that. And I mean, they're, they're the reason why this issue is important to me. I mean, in addition to it being kind of core to my, uh, as a woman, but on June 24th, things changed for so many people. You know, I woke up and it was just, I think, <laughs> outrage that my daughters were going to grow up in a world where they had fewer constitutional rights than I did, fewer um, rights than their own brother. I mean, it was all, you know, and that that is a motivating thing. And for me and like the rest of the campaign team, you know, we, from that day forward, like really around the clock, worked our asses off because this is, you know, it's for the future of our, you know, of our kids. And, and uh, yeah, so they are, have, they, they, they're involved. I'm sure that they sometimes more than they, <laughs> they'd like to be, but, but it's important. Did you yourself grow up in a political household? Did you, you know, did, is this something that you're carrying forward from your own background or is this something that you sort of came to as you kind of developed your own political identity? I did not really grow up in a political household. I mean, I kind of, they were like, you know, they voted, but that was about it. I was not, they were not activists. Uh, my dad was actually a newspaper guy. And so there was kind of a different angle on, on, on this stuff, but yeah, I came to it a little late. You know, I really wasn't, it wasn't something that was super important to me when I was young until I graduated from college or like late in college. And then I graduated and then I, you know, had done an internship my my senior year of college um, at the state Senate with a senator and just really found it super fascinating. And so I got involved and, you know, it kind of took off from there. My first session that I was working in the legislature Kansas dealt with gay marriage amendment. And uh, one of the a moderate Republican senator filib- like stood and like filibustered on the uh, Senate floor for like seven hours. And it blew my mind. And I was just like, this is amazing. I'm, you know, never leaving this. And 
turns out I was pretty good at communicating about it. Um, and so it kind of became my career. Uh, but, but yeah, no, it, 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 it everybody kind of comes to it different. Um, my husband actually was the one that was m- much more into politics, like growing up and, um, always thought he'd run for office, but now he's gone the other direction. So when an organization comes together around an issue like this, what happens after the election? You know, is it like, yay, we won, everything's done? You know, what what does that look like going forward? So I think it's it's kind of hard. I mean, we're we're kind of figuring out what's next. Um, I do think that the organization, the organization's continuing. It just has kind of a different role now. I mean, the thing that's also important to remember is that Kansans for Constitutional Freedom was a nonpartisan organization. We were intentional about that because, you know, once you start talking about politics in a partisan, this issue in a partisan frame, anything in a partisan frame, uh, people automatically go to their corners. And we could not have that happen. We had to make sure that everybody kind of felt like they could listen or be at the table. Uh, and so, and, and I think that that's important and that, and the organization should stay that way. And so it's figuring out kind of what, what the path forward is. And I think it's going to be probably more advocacy going forward. We absolutely know that they're going to come back and try to do something else to limit access, at, whether it's another amendment or whether it's just laws that kind of challenge uh, the current state of the laws in Kansas. And so the organization um, will likely be there to, you know, to to remind people of how Kansas voters showed up for this issue and how they feel. Um, and and really, they'll they'll continue to make sure people's voices are heard. The organizations, you know, they're also separate organizations, Planned Parenthood, ACLU, they're all doing other work now too, kind of heading into November. So it's kind of split, but, but I'm, that's my hope with the organization Kansas for Constitutional Freedom that will continue to um, highlight this issue in a nonpartisan way that really focuses on what we learned and the, and the progress that we made here. You mentioned that ballot initiatives are not that common in Kansas. And I'm curious if, given that this was your first issue-based campaign, if there's anything that you would sort of suggest to other states in this situation who are other people who are working on issue-based campaigns that are kind of unique to that experience. Where I live, there are a million of these all the time. There's There's sort of like a whole political sector devoted to, you know, working on ballot initiative issues. And we often are just sort of like, you know, we're often voting on like 18 of them at once, but I know that it's a a really unique kind of uh, political, you know, th- a political organizing challenge. And so I'm curious if there's anything that you would sort of want to share about what that looks like, what surprised you maybe as somebody who was new to the kind of issue campaign world that would be useful to other states that are going to be challenging some of these bans or similar things in their own way. So I think it is interesting, just the contrast between your your experience and my experience just because my experience is we, we don't ever get to make our voices heard on an issue. And so it's, it's like revolutionary in my, in my mind, like it's, it's great. And I think it was really motivating for a lot of voters, especially unaffiliated voters who, you know, don't necessarily have a say in who the, you know, who the party candidate is. And I think it was actually really motivating for young people too. I mean, obviously this issue I think is motivating for young people, but just the fact that you don't have to have kind of, you don't have to vote for like a middleman. You can just vote on the issue. That's like a really amazing thing. Uh, I think, I, unfortunately, it sounds like in California, it's overused, maybe. 
like with anything, there's good and bad yeah. ideas. <laughs> there's good and bad right. uses of any part of the electoral system. So. For sure. But I do think that, that, you know, especially on this particular issue, the issue of, um, you know, abortion rights, reproductive freedom, personal autonomy, uh, I think that this is a way to kind of pull it out of the political you know, structure and have a conversation about an issue that people um, by and large care a lot about. And, you know, most most polling nationally and in other and just state specific shows that the vast majority of voters support access to abortion. And so I, I think that this is an opportunity again in states like Kansas, in states who have the opportunity, especially for you know voters to petition for it to be on the ballot. I think this is an opportunity, you know, to make people's voices heard on this issue in a way that's um, different and and nonpartisan. And I think that could be really important, especially in the environment we're in. You know, it's kind of crisis mode now um, since the Dobbs decision. You know, we're seeing every day the implications of these bans that are going into place in states, you know, like Indiana and just different things that are even being added now. Women having health care delayed or denied, rape victims being forced across state lines, people having miscarriage care politicized. I mean, all of these things are are harmful to you know women in different states and my hope is that we can utilize this the ballot initiative to make a difference and really move in a different direction um, because there's a lot of women living in a lot of states who you know need access to abortion for lots of different reasons if people would like to follow you and or follow Kansans for constitutional freedom on social media on the web how can they do that if you would like to follow Kansans for Constitutional Freedom on Twitter, we're at Kansans, the number four, freedom. Uh, same on um, Instagram. And you can find us on Facebook at the at Kansans for Constitutional Freedom. Um, me personally, it's Ashley After All on Twitter and other platforms. Excellent. Was there anything else you wanted to make sure we talk about? I, I think I'm, I think I found my calling. And then part of it is making sure that, you know, people understand what we did here and why it's important. And also refocusing folks who are on the coasts, realizing that there's a lot of people in a lot of places that have no access to abortion care now. And um, that is puts the lives of women at risk. And, um, and as, as you can see with in Kansas, I mean, it's not the way the rest of the state feels. It's like, you know, and so you know, anything people can do to support organizations that, that do this work, you know, whether it's supporting ballot initiatives like Families United for Freedom, the group I work, work with now, or Planned Parenthood, working with different clinics, whatever that may be, it's very needed, especially right now. Ashley, thank you so much for speaking with us. Uh, Kansas is home to some of my favorite politicians, including Laura Kelly and Sharice David. So uh, thank you. This is, was a really great conversation. And uh, I'm so excited that you guys won. Yes, me too. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to What Can I Do? You can find show notes and credits for this episode at whatcanidopodcast.com. To the best of our knowledge, all audio used by What Can I Do is in the public domain or used with permission. Original artwork is by Matthew Wesson and used with express permission. You can find us on Twitter at What Can I Do Pod. 
To contact us with questions or guest suggestions, please email hello at whatcanidopodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review and tell your friends. 